Good evening, everybody. You're very welcome to our first night of special meetings. Uh, for any who don't know me, I'm Joel Lockridge. I'm the pastor here at Clock Mills Reformed Presbyterian Church. Our format for tonight and the three evenings of our uh, special services is very simple. Simply, we want to hear what God has to say from his word. So there's no, nothing fancy this evening or any of the nights. Sim- I'm simply going to read part of the Bible and then uh, speak on it for uh, 25 minutes or so. We'll sing a bit of God's word as we close and then tea and coffee to finish with. So a very simple uh, format, and we look forward to hearing what God has to say to us this evening from his word. And we want to read, first of all, from Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. If you have a Bible in your hand or on your phone, you can look it up, or just uh, listen along to God's word as it's read publicly. And we'll read from verse 14. Sometimes maybe we look at the world and we wonder, where did it all go wrong? Well, it all went wrong in Genesis chapter 3. Here we're told why and how it all went wrong. And these verses we're about to read are foundational verses in God's word and in helping us understand the world and why it is the way it is. God made the world. He made it perfect. He made it beautiful. He made men and women, humankind, as the pinnacle of his creation, made in his image in a way that nothing else in all creation is. But men and women rebelled against God. They did the one thing he commanded them not to do. And that was a deliberately defiant act. That was hoisting the black banner of rebellion in God's creation and saying, you're not king, we're king. And the verses that we're going to read, I want you to think, I want you to picture God as the just judge coming to pass sentence. In effect, we're in God's courtroom and the judge is passing sentence because his law has been broken. So Genesis 3 verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, of course the serpent was Satan in a physical form, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust You shall return. And then we move later on in the Bible to the prophet Zephaniah. It's later on towards the end of the Old Testament. It's page 955 if you've got one of the church Bibles. And these are the verses that tonight and Thursday and Friday night we're going to be focusing on. As God 
looks at this world that has been destroyed by sin, cursed under God's judgment, and speaks a message of hope to this world. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt you over you with loud singing. And we end our reading of God's word there. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word as we come to think about it now. Father in heaven, you are the good God who's made this world. You made it perfect and we have spoiled it with our sin. And from that day that we read of to this day, the black banner of rebellion has been uh, hoisted in this planet. But you're a God of mercy, a God who speaks and who promises, who promises to give cause for rejoicing, who promises to give hope. And we ask that as we think on these things now for a few moments, that you would make them crystal clear to us from your word. Give us the help of your Holy Spirit to teach us and instruct us and bring light to our minds and to our hearts and to our lives and then into this community and into all this world. We come looking to you, asking for your blessing, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. There are few things that I hate more than somebody saying to me, cheer up, buddy. Um, I'm a fairly simple person. My face generally reflects how I'm feeling, so I'm pretty easy to read. If I'm looking gloomy, I more than likely am gloomy. And in all likelihood, there'll be a reason then for my gloominess. I'm generally fairly positive in outlook and demeanour, so if I'm down, there's something Underlying it. It's not just a, a, f- a flight or a fancy. So it can be at best annoying or hurtful and unhelpful and insensitive for somebody to say, Don't worry, be happy, cheer up, don't worry, be happy. I'm sure even as I say those words, a little jingle starts in your head with uh, whistling and calypso beats in the background. Not Bob Marley, though most people seem to think it was Bob Marley that sang Don't Worry, Be Happy, Bobby McFerrin, apparently. But the song gets stuck in your head, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Don't Worry, Be Happy. And maybe you've had someone start singing it to you when they've no idea what is going on in your life. No idea why your heart is heavy and no idea what hurts you're carrying. And when that's the case, isn't that? Isn't it one of the worst things that can be said to you and someone just doesn't uh, understand? And this is something actually that the Bible acknowledges. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 20, God says, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart 
It's like some Thran being who takes away your coat and hides it on a freezing cold day and you're in a hurry to get away and they're, they're just just winding you up. They're just provoking you, just annoying you. It's a cruel joke to provoke you. I remember as a kid adding vinegar to baking soda. You know what happens. An explosion-like thing. It's a combustible mix. Well, God's word says someone who sings heavy songs to somebody with a heavy heart, like someone who puts vinegar on soda, it's combustible. It's a cruel joke. It's, it's provocative. Cheer up. Don't worry. Be happy. They're not always welcome words, are they? We don't welcome or appreciate people saying that to us whenever we are down and blue. And yet this is what God tells us to do in those verses that we just read in Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3, verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Now God is addressing especially his people. And at the time this was written, those were the Jews, the Israelites. Uh, The capital city was Jerusalem. And so this is who in particular he's speaking to. God speaking to his people. And he gives this command Sing aloud, shout for joy, rejoice and exult. It's like he's ransacked the thesaurus for all the words he can get to to sum this up. And he's saying, celebrate, sing, party, have a feast, have a festival. Well, is this a cruel joke? Are these words unnecessarily provocative? Does God not know the world that we live in? Where we have heavy hearts and we carry hurts. You look around and there seems so little to sing about and to shout about in our world. You maybe missed this on the news, but uh, East Africa is facing the worst locust plague they've had for 70 years. Uh, swarms of locusts 40 kilometres long and 20 kilometres wide. To put that in context, that's from Antrim Town to the north coast and from Coleraine to Cushendall. So that's all of North Antrim from Antrim Town above covered in a single swarm of locusts. 33 million people facing famine if the crops fail. This is a huge disaster unravelling in East Africa. And yet we've heard very little about it because... So much else is going on in the world. I think even just this year, bushfires in Australia burning uh, an area of land the same size as the nation of South Korea. It's not that long ago since Iran and America were seemingly days away from war and the so-called doomsday clock was moved closer to midnight to doomsday to reflect this imminent threat that all the world was in of a potential nuclear war. Recent days, recent weeks, stock markets tumbling at the quickest pace since the financial crash 10 years ago. That's our pensions, that's our savings uh, tumbling in value. Flybees collapse, people stranded, holidays, cancelled money, lost, and of course, all the coronavirus. We're on the verge of a pandemic. In fact, maybe even, I haven't, didn't check the news from between about 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock, maybe even a worldwide pandemic has been declared. We are in a, a pandemic. 
what we all have seen, I'm sure, is the shelves of soap and hand sanitizer and even uh, bog roll all cleared out uh, of the shops, all because a tiny little invisible microorganism is at work. It's grinding the whole world to halt. And people are fearful for their lives. And it exposes our frailty, exposes our vulnerability. You look at the news and it doesn't seem much to shout or sing about. And if we look closer to home, it's even less to sing and shout about. It's not nice to think about it, but I'm sure you noticed, as I did, that from December last year, we had a string of high high-profile suicides in Northern Ireland. And it drew attention to the fact that in Northern Ireland we have the highest suicide rate in the British Isles. And in so many of the stories in the papers, as they reported in this, they used the word epidemic. It's rife in Northern Ireland. And, well, why is that? Well, well, clearly all is not well. People are troubled by something. There's something wrong that means... Hearts are heavy and burdened. And as we look at life, we can see that sometimes, maybe even often, maybe in your life right now, there's not much to sing and shout and exult and rejoice over. Finances are squeezed. Problems that were small begin to snowball. Marriages and families break down and break hearts and break uh, children. Dreams crumble away, dreams of a career, dreams of a family. We carry grief um, with us, the grief of bereavement, the grief of miscarriage, the grief of singleness, the grief of infertility. Many people struggle with crippling and painful illnesses, physical illnesses, never mind mental illnesses. For some people, the dark cloud just never lifts, and that's their experience of life. For others, there's a a, a compulsive checking and constant checking. There's no rest, no peace. And we can look at, at our lives, our own lives, and think, well, what is there to rejoice and be glad about? And you might think, you know, if, if God really knew my situation, if God knew the mess that this world was in, if God knew the mess that my life is in, he wouldn't tell me to sing and shout and rejoice. He'd follow his own advice and not sing songs to a heavy heart. But the message of the Bible is that God does know exactly what's going on in our lives and in the world as a whole. He knows in two different ways. He knows because he knows everything. He knows everything. Psalm 139 verses 1 to 3. <clears throat> o Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. He knows. He sees. He knows everything. 
But we can say more than that. He doesn't just know because he knows everything. He knows because he came down into this mess. That's the, if we could put it simply, that's the big thing about Jesus. It's God coming down into the mess. And he saw sick people. And he saw dying people. And he saw hurting people. And he saw abused people. And he experienced grief and heartache. We're told of him standing weeping at the grave of his friend Lazarus. But he came down into the mess. And not just to be in the mess and to see it, but to fix the mess. And so we have to say that the God who tells us to sing and shout and rejoice does know the mess of our lives in this world. And he he knows it far better than, than we do, even ourselves. And yet knowing all that, he still tells us to sing and shout and rejoice and exult. So what does God know that we don't know? What does God see that we don't see? Well, the answer is in the next verse, verse 15. Sing aloud, shout, shout, rejoice and exult. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He's cleared away your enemies. Picture yourselves for a moment in a tiny, dark cell. You've been convicted of murder. You're in death row. And today's the day of your execution. And you know what's coming. The judge passed sentence on you. And you're for the electric chair that very day. And suddenly the door bursts open and into your cell floods light. And there's your lawyer. And they say to you, you're free to go. What? Why? What has happened? And he tells you the judge has removed the judgment against you. The judge has removed the sentence against you. You're free to go. How would you feel about that? Days and weeks and months and even years have been lost in prison. And you'll not get them back. And because of that, relationships have been spoiled and your career is in tatters. And there's, what are you going to do going forward? There's still hurt, there's still damage. But there's cause for rejoicing because the judgment has been taken away. Now you've got hope. Or imagine you live in a French city towards the end of World War II. Night after night, shell upon shell, constant bombardment from the air, from the uh, German troops encamped just outside the city and, and night after night as these shells fall houses are, are turned to rubble and ruin people are killed, people are buried alive under rubble and never found there's firestorms and, and bodies and things are swept up into the air and, and burning there's no food, thousands of people dying and then one night there's no bombs and for the first night, and as long as you can remember, there's, it's silent. And word quickly spreads through the town that the Allies have broken through. The Germans have cleared out. Your town's in ruins. But the enemy's been cleared away. And you'll shout and sing 
and rejoice with joy because the enemy has been cleared away. You see, it's possible to have joy in the midst of ruins and pain. When the judgments are taken away and the enemies cleared. Because that's just good news, even in the midst of pain. And that's why, friends, we can, in the midst of pain, sing and shout and rejoice and exult. Because we have good news even in pain and suffering. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. You see, friends, our enemies, our judgments, they're the very things that cause us pain and hurt. You maybe don't think of yourself as having enemies. But think of it like this. Do you have things in your life that oppose you, that spoil your plans and your intentions? Well, think of them as your enemies, your opponents. An illness. Hurts that are inflicted by others. Death, of course, the, the great enemy. And sometimes we are our own worst enemy, aren't we? And we cause the damage to ourselves. Well, all these things, our enemies, are the result of God's judgment on our world. We said no to his rule. We said yes to self-rule. And very simply, that's what the Bible calls sin. We've rejected him. And that rejection is rebellion against him. And that rebellion is hatred of him. And the Bible tells us that by nature, there's not a single one of us who are God's friend. We're all God's enemies from our first moment of existence because of sin that's corrupted the whole race. And God passed judgment. That's what we read in Genesis chapter 3. And you see the different categories that, that God moved through. He passed judgment on relationships first of all he told uh, Adam and Eve the husband and wife that there would be tension in their marriage that she would seek to usurp his role and that he at times would would be domineering and and cruel God has passed judgment on people and relationships we've been given over to sin and selfishness and we go and we selfishly do our own thing and then we hurt each other that's sin that's God's judgment on us The whole creation, the whole world is under a curse because of sin. The curse of God's judgment. And so that makes the natural world dangerous. Things that should have been uh, subject to us, that should have been friendly to us, that should have been good for us, are dangerous to us. That's what makes the world unproductive. God said, by the sweat of your brow you'll get food from the earth. There'll be weeds and thorns and thistles. (laughs) The world doesn't work the way it's meant to and, and it makes it's hard for us to get enough to, to live on. Our bodies, they break. They get sick. Our minds break. We get sick because of judgment on all the creation, the physical world. And worst of all, judgment on us. Death, separation from God. It's judgment and sin. 
sin spoils us. We were made and designed by God to live forever and, and we're doomed to die. Sin leads to death and it leads to devastation and it's God's judgment on our sin. I want to put it to you tonight that all the pain and all the hurt that we suffer and that we endure and that we inflict, it is ultimately the result of God's judgment. When we hurt others, because we won't point the finger at others first, we look at ourselves. When we hurt others, that's because God has given us over to sin and selfishness. When sickness strikes, that's because our bodies aren't working the way they're meant to, the way they're designed they're breaking down with time. When, when disaster strikes like the famine and fires, it's because all of creation is spoiled. When death comes, we only die because we sin. It's God's judgment on us. And so what I'm saying is all suffering, all hurt, all pain can be traced directly or indirectly to sin. Now, we have to be careful here. I'm not saying that every hurt, every sickness, every illness is the result of God's judgment on your specific sin. Sometimes it can be. You think, just take a, an example, you think of the, the, the drug dealer who's, who's shot by a rival. You think of a family breaking down because of someone's adultery. That's suffering and hurt because of sin. That's the consequence of sin. It's traced directly to sin, but other times it's traced indirectly. You know, when somebody falls sick, it's it's not necessarily because they're a particular sinner and God's judging them for a particular sin. It's because the whole world is spoiled and cursed by sin. Our bodies are broken. Sickness and disability didn't exist before Adam and Eve sinned. It was a perfect world and God looked at it and said, it's very good. And so all suffering is directly or indirectly God's judgment on us. It's all because of sin. There's a poignant moment in the Harry Potter stories where Harry, the great hero of the stories, is surveying the wreckage of broken lives, people killed, people tortured, families ruined, all because of the great, the great antagonist, Lord Voldemort. And he, and he says, all this suffering... It all comes back to him. He's the one who had torn these families apart, who had ruined all these lives. There's an echo of truth in that. As we look out and survey broken lives, broken families, broken homes, broken bodies, broken mind, a broken world, hatred, hurt, death, and all of its unmitigated pain, We can say it all comes back to sin. It's the one who had torn all these families apart. Who'd ruined all these lives. We're responsible. It's our rejection of God that has done this. But God says, sing. Shout for joy. Rejoice and exult. The judgments against you have been taken away. Your enemies have been cleared away. God did something about the problems. God took away the judgment. God cleared away the enemies. God dealt with all the sources of pain. That's the good news of the Bible. And how did he do it? He came down into the mess. 
He saw the mess. He lived in the mess. He saw the judgments. He saw the enemies. He saw death face to face. He saw sin and all of its awfulness and all of its effects. The judgments, the enemies. And he took them all away by taking them on himself. By dying on the cross. And that's the message at the heart of the Christian faith. It's not just that God entered into the world and and knows what the world is like. It's that he took away the judgments. So he cleared away the enemies and took the judgment on himself. When Zephaniah talks about the Lord has taken away the judgments against you, that's what he's meaning. He took it on himself to get rid of it. And as we look at this world spoiled by sin, whether we look at it at a cosmic level, creation being broken, or at a global level with fires and famine and viruses, or at a personal level with abuses and hurts and our own feelings, or at the ultimate level of, of death, because we've offended a holy God and a good God, here's the only hope. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. It's only in what Jesus has done. It's like the, the enemies and the judgments are, are stacked up all around us and we're bricked in. And only he can remove them. And that's what he's done. But as, as we finish, I want us to note one last thing. Who is it that's called to rejoice? Who is it that receives this good news? It's the daughters of Zion. Israel, the daughters of Jerusalem. What relevance does that have for us? Well, the addressees here are important. Because ultimately it's not really a particular ethnic group, national group, race of people being addressed. It's not ultimately the Jews as a race, as as an ethnicity, as a nation. The Jews were meant to be a believing people. That was their primary mark, or meant to be their primary mark. A people of faith. Abraham, their forefather, was a man of faith, the father of the faithful. That was meant to be their defining national characteristic. They were believers in God, people who trusted in God. And so who is this hope for? It's for those who trust in God. It's for those who believe in God, who rest in him. And in some ways it's it's quite simple. Here's a promise from God. I will take away the judgments. I will clear away the enemies. We just have to receive it and believe it and trust it and rest in it. We need to say, yes, God has taken away the judgments from me through Jesus by his death. And this faith that we're talking about, this faith that saves, is not generic faith. It's not, yeah, I believe that God exists. It's a specific faith. It's a a trusting faith. It's a resting faith. It's a relying faith. It's a faith that says, he came for me. He lived for me. He died for me. He rose for me. He reigns for me. A personal saving faith. A trust in Jesus as saviour. And if you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus as your personal saviour, why not? As you look out at this world, 
What other hope do you have? What else do you see? What else are you going to trust in? Who else can deal with these problems? Take away the judgments against us and clear away our enemies. So trust. Trust. And then we can sing and rejoice and exalt and be glad. Because God has done the very thing, the only thing that could be done. He didn't just enter into the world to know it and to know its hurts and its pains. He took on himself the judgments. He fought the enemies himself. And he took away the judgments and he cleared away the enemies. He has done the only thing that could give us a reason to sing and rejoice.